Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Conversations from the Diaspora, a Building Africa's Future podcast. If you're new here, we are so glad to have you. My name is Nkiru, and I'm your host, your sister and your friend. If you're returning, welcome back, family. This podcast is primarily centered on the experiences of African immigrants of the millennial generation across the African diaspora. So grab a seat at the table for this discussion. And while you're here, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, share the link with others, and follow us on social media so you can join our online community. I would love to get to know you, so please leave me a voice message to possibly be featured on the show. You're more than welcome to be our guest, and we would love to have you on the podcast. All links can be found on our link tree. That is linktree forward slash building Africa's future. And I'll catch you after the episode. Happy listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations from the Diaspora, a Building Africa's Future podcast. As usual, I'm your host, your sister and your friend, Nkiru. And today I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Dr. Meg Awunti, and we will be talking about demystifying life insurance in the African diaspora, making financial protection accessible. So just really quickly, a little bit about my guest. She is a pharmacist with an interest in health disparities, particularly regarding the influence of finances on health outcomes. Outside of her career, her passions consist of exploring various meetings of entrepreneurship, mentoring the next generation, and welcoming new experiences. So Meg, if you would, um, please, you know, say a word of hello to our, our listeners and our viewers, um, and then we'll take it from there. Hello, everyone. It is such an honor to be on this podcast. Like, it has been a long time coming. We have been planning this, and I'm so excited to share with you guys what we have for today. Thanks so much, sis. I really do appreciate it. And I know, um, just a little back background story for our listeners, um, I think a year and a half ago, you introduced this um, topic to me. You were having like a presentation about life insurance and and how and why, you know, you found it interesting, especially in our community. And as you know, the podcast is focused on like African diaspora, especially, um, you know, millennials and things that are important to us. So if you can just maybe go straight into that, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, as a, a Cameroon American and how all of this ties into um, why this was important to you. Why did you feel like getting into this, you know, in your experience in pharmacy and everything else like that? Yeah. So um, for me, like I was born in America, but I always say like I was raised in between America and Cameroon because I literally spent my childhood going back and forth. And so during that time, I was able to kind of identify like the differences in the healthcare infrastructure between Cameroon and America. But in my head, like it made sense that we had such a difference because, you know, Africa being like a, 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 a continent with a lot of developing countries, like you don't really have a lot of um, healthcare infrastructure in place compared to like America. So it's just something that stuck with me when I was there and I did boarding school. And then when I came back to America, you know, years later, I went on to pharmacy school. And during one of my rotations, I got in my 14 pharmacy school, I was work. So I was um, doing one of my rotations during my fourth year pharmacy school. I got to work in an underserved community. And then I started noticing the same things that I noticed back home. And it didn't really make sense to me, like, you know, why I would be why we would be experiencing that in America. Like back home, it was like, oh, yeah, it's a developing country. Of course, we would see the problems that we saw with the healthcare infrastructure. But then why would we be seeing those same things in America, which is like a developed country? And we have such like so many things in place for our healthcare. So at that time, I didn't know that what I was interested in was called health disparities, but through good mentorship and just taking time to kind of like analyze what my interests were, I was able to, I was able to identify that I did have a passion for health disparities and that led me to my fellowship. So kind of long story short, in that fellowship, I was able to identify the word financial toxicity. And so because the main thing that I was always interested in is like how does health disparities like how does socioeconomic status affect your access to health care right because a lot of times you would see that if you are rich and um 
you have money, you can easily access the healthcare system. If you're poor, you experience challenges. And then like in developing countries where you may not have things in place like government funded health insurance and all of that, then you're even at really the mercy of God in terms of how you're going to get health resources. So when I found the term financial toxicity, it really helped me see that, okay, it, there was basically an area of research within health disparities where all they did was identify like how um, health and wealth basically intersect and see how like that influences health outcomes. And it was, it was something that is global, it's a global conversation, even though we don't talk about it as much, but it doesn't matter where you go in the world, it doesn't matter what language you speak. We all know that if you do not have certain finances in place, when something happens to you in terms of your health, it like your health outcomes will be directly impacted if you are not able to access the resources, the medications, the doctors, and the treatment on time due to lack of finances. Sis, that was very powerful. And I know you really focused on quite a few things, especially financial toxicity and just overall financial illiteracy that many of us in our communities just, you know, we have a way of saving money or raising money. You know, it's a thing called SUSU. I don't know if you want to speak to that or not, but we have our ways of kind of putting money in the community or, or fundraising, but it's not always the best. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we don't trust each other, which is, again, is another topic. But if you can, I guess, talk to us a little bit more about how or why, you know, life insurance, um, particularly in an African diaspora, you know, how is this, how or why is this important? Like, how can this help serve as like an avenue for potential, um, maybe financial freedom? Yeah. So um, my health disparities research is actually what led me to understand the value of life insurance, because a lot of times in the community or like when you look on like the news or the TV or online, people are focused on selling insurance. Like, hey, if you need insurance, I can get you this rate. I can get you this policy for like $35 a month, $40 a month, like the cheaper, the better. But when I got into the space where I was learning about financial toxicity and learning about that intersection of health and wealth, I got to see that you know, when you get that life-changing diagnosis like cancer or stroke or you have like kidney failure, like these are the diseases that can cause you to go bankrupt. These are the diseases that you can't really plan for, but when they do happen, it's not just, uh, like it doesn't just impact your health, but it also impacts your finances because you may never be able to go back to work. And most people's stream of income comes from your job. And like, even though you are sick, life goes on. You have kids, you have a mortgage, you have bills you have to pay. Just because you're sick, you don't necessarily get a break from those responsibilities. So when I got reintroduced to health um, life insurance, because I had a life insurance policy, but again, like I said, we don't really understand the value of these things. When I got reintroduced to it, I started learning about the term living benefits, right? And so this is when you can have, you can tap into your policy when you get these life-changing um, diagnosis like cancer or stroke or kidney disease or just like you have an accident that changes your life forever and so now you have this financial reserve on your life that you can access when life happens when you can't really plan for it and so instead of you having cancer and going to have to go deplete all of your savings because you know you don't have any money coming in now you have some sort of reserve that you can tap into to assist you while you are dealing with this disease and for like the diaspora like we have a lot of myths regarding life insurance it's like oh if you get it that means that you're trying to promote somebody to die it's like um you know we would rather like save our money as much as possible because you know we need that we have savings we have good jobs especially in the diaspora like we work really good jobs we have a lot of money coming in like we're perfectly fine we're healthy but when you think about the reality of it is that um when you have a disease like cancer 
you probably need more than six figures to get through that disease. And I don't know what type of job that anybody's working that will be able to cover you while you are struggling with this disease and you may not be able to show up to work. And also like, you know, people focus so much on the negative, like, oh my goodness, life insurance is just a sale, it's just a sale, it's just a sale. But if you think about it, where else will you get a financial reserve on your life? How else will you protect your life? Like you protect everything else but your life, which is irreplaceable on this earth. <laughs> Since you brought up like so many powerful points and one thing that stood out to me the most, I know you and I have had lots of conversations behind the scenes on this topic. When it comes to life insurance, so many of our people, like you said, they think about it. I think many people actually, not just our people, but the first thing that comes into in mind is, oh, are you trying to like, you know, end my life so I, you can collect something off of my life, which, you know, again, is an unfortunate way of thinking, but many people do kind of think in that way. They're thinking that, okay, well, maybe someone can benefit off of, you know, my passing or I can just save money. And, you know, you know, if something like that happens and my kids are okay, what can you say to that, um, you know, that wrong thinking or how can you maybe dispel that myth or whatever? Um, reasons people have for thinking in that direction? I think that a lot of the time people have this reasoning because of how like life insurance is sold and also just because of like our cultural beliefs from back home. Because if you think about it, the purpose of you insuring anything is so that if and when something happens, you can tap into that financial reserve and not have to deplete your personal savings to go through that season or to get it fixed or get it replaced. So like when you think about life insurance, I say like it should be able to do three things, right? So it should protect you, your loved ones in the case of your death. It should be able to protect you if you like get sick along the way. And it should be able to protect you if you live too long. Because like, when you, for example, a lot, one of the things to think about is like, okay, when you get a disease like cancer or stroke or like an accident, you cannot prepare for this. And so think about if this happens to the primary breadwinner of the family, which is like the man, you're bringing in most of the income and something happens to you that changes your life forever. How else are you going to be able to sustain yourself and your family during that season if you don't have like some type of trust fund or if you don't have a financial reserve on your life? And then let's think about like if you end up passing away early, right? So again, one of my friends, I saw this on his podcast and he was talking about how, you know, a lot of times in our culture, we get married early, right? Especially back home. So you see a man who is married early, has a wife, maybe has like four or five kids. And then, you know, again, men are less likely to go to the hospital, less likely to get checkups. You don't really know that you have some disease going on in you and then you drop dead. Well, that man has died. He's probably the primary breadwinner of the family. So what does that mean to his wife? His wife and his family are automatically poor. Automatically poor. And there are statistics that talk about how women drop to poverty when the husband dies. Like, I forgot what the statistic is, but it's actually very alarming. Like, while you guys were married, you were fine. Immediately the husband dies, you are poor. Because you lose that income, you lose that presence. And for some people, like the men is probably the primary breadwinner. So now if you had, imagine if, and then in our culture, especially in African culture, sometimes when the husband dies, the in-laws take everything away. So not only is your wife grieving the fact that you have died, but now she has to struggle to find a way to survive and take care of her kids on her own for, with nothing. So imagine if that person, that man had a financial reserve on his life and he passed away. So now your family, your wife, your kids don't have to start from zero just because you're no longer there. There is something that they can tap into to sustain them. Yes, you will never be replaced in your lives because you know we are priceless and irreplaceable, 
but at least you have left something behind that your kids can use to take care of themselves. And it can also build generational wealth. Like I had a friend who like her father passed away and she got a life insurance like statement sent to her house. And now she's purchasing a house. She never thought about purchasing a house, but now she's like, yo, I got this check. I can buy a house. So <laughs> like, imagine that generational wealth. That's something that, you know, will pass on to her next generation. That has already put her ahead of the game than most people because her father did an investment to protect his life that will automatically take care of his children. And then like, we also say like, if you live too long, because like I'm getting into the space where I'm learning again about like senior living services. And a lot of times we're seeing that people are not prepared to age. People are not prepared mm. to get old. You're not prepared to need extra assistance because as you get old, you become dependent. So now you, one, you, you're not working, right? So you lose the income and then two, you need assistance. So you don't have income coming in, but you're going to need to spend more because you can't take care of yourself. And so like, do you have something in place that you can tap into when you start aging, when you start needing that extra assistance, or are you just going to be 100% a total burden to your loved ones? Because it gets stressful. It gets stressful and you have caregiver fatigue and you're depleting your pockets. They love you, but elderly care is not cheap. So like I always tell people, like when you think about life insurance, think about three things. One, can it protect your loved ones if you pass when you pass away? Two, can it protect you if you get sick along the way? And three, can it protect you if you live too long? That's deep. Yes. <laughs> Living too long. I, I love the way you phrase that. So, so I think with me, um, one thing I always like to do is clearly define things because I know I know you've kind of touched on it at a few yes. points, but let's can you make it clear for our listeners what exactly is life insurance and um and why is it essential to financial planning, especially for immigrants and their families? Because as I know you mentioned earlier, a lot of us, because of where we're coming from. Um, because of where our families are from, you know, historically, there are certain things that we just didn't have access to because of, you know, the environments we're coming from, the cultural upbringing and different things like that. Um, but it isn't until, you know, of course, we found ourselves in the countries that we're in and in the diaspora where we do have, you know, better access to some of these things, whereas in our home countries, we might not have those same access. Um, so just, you know, if you can just explain, you know, make it plain what exactly life insurance is and how can it be used as a tool for financial planning? So life insurance, like I say it in simple words, is a financial reserve on your life. So that when something happens to you, if and when it happens, you can tap into something. Either you can tap into that financial reserve to take care of yourself, or your loved ones can tap into that to take care of yourself. Now, when you think about it, like as an immigrant, a lot of our parents and a lot of us came to this country for greener pastures. You're probably coming here with not much knowledge about like finances. You're coming here with basically nothing to your name because you're coming and you're starting over. I say that in terms of building wealth, life insurance is one of the things that levels the playing field because this is money that you can tap into or your um, descendants or whoever your beneficiaries can tap into completely tax-free. It is money that you don't have to go to court to justify. You don't have to fight it. You're not like going back and forth with the IRS trying to justify where all of this money came from. No. Once you get that check, once you get that um, amount assigned to your name, whoever is supposed to get it accesses that money 100% tax-free and they can do with it whatever they wish to do with it. Now you think about immigrants, we come to this country and we work so hard. Like we grew up watching our parents work two, three jobs to break even, to take care of us, to put a roof over our heads. And um, we are all noticing and realizing that working all of these jobs doesn't necessarily guarantee like financial freedom. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're setting up the next generation. I am extremely grateful for the fact that they were able to provide us with a baseline. So we are definitely starting better than where they started. But when you think about like, okay, you see the people who have 
like extreme wealth, like the Rockefellers and um, the Trump family and all of that. Like you see how much wealth they have. And it's like, how would you ever catch up to that place? How would you ever catch up to a place where your loved ones don't have to worry about the day-to-day, -day, don't have to worry about like school loans, don't have to worry about, you know, hey, I want to go purchase a car. So you can do this in a couple of different ways. But I think that what life insurance does is that when, if and when something happens to you, you automatically tap into that so that your loved ones are just much more in a better place. Like it's hard to explain because there's so many different types of life insurance. And this is another reason why, like when I see how life insurance is sold, it kind of breaks my heart because a lot of times they're trying to sell you the cheapest quote possible which is good because if you don't have anything, put something on your life. But if you think about using insurance to create that generational wealth, using insurance to pass it on to your loved ones, you have to think of permanent. You have to think of permanent because it is impermanent that you can grow the cash value of your policy. It is impermanent that, you're in, that you know that you have protection on your life no matter what happens. It doesn't matter if you get the permanent policy when you're three years old. For the rest of your life, you have that money on your life. So no matter what happens to you, even if like you pass away at 50, even if you get sick, get sick at 90, you have that financial reserve regardless. When you get like a term policy, it was there for a certain number of years. And then when you pass away, you pretty much mean it's not a guarantee that you have access to that money as well. So it's a, there are a lot of things in there that was not as straightforward to explain. There's just so much to There's say so much about to life. Say. Right. Complicated. <laughs> right. Right. And speaking of complicated, um, you know, even you as someone who obviously is a healthcare professional and who has experience with, life insurance, um, you know, teaching people about it and everything like that. It's still pretty complex to understand. So. Yeah, because it's multiple things. Right, right. So if you can, I guess, can you tell us how to make, um, how can we make life insurance a little bit more accessible to our communities? And if you can maybe speak a little bit more about maybe some of the differences and how it can help immigrant communities. Yes. So, so a lot of times, like as immigrants, we come to this country with nothing. We come here seeking greener pastures and we grow up watching our parents work in like two, three jobs to break even, um, to provide a life for us, which is amazing. And there are no words that we can use to express that gratitude to our parents. But a lot of us have also started noticing that like, you know, just working two, three jobs is not necessarily going to give us that financial freedom that we're looking for. So one of the things with life insurance that I think is not um, explained very well when they sell it is that there are different types of life insurance. So a lot of times when you look online or when you see ads and they're like, oh, we're going to get you like the cheapest quote you can find. That's usually for like term insurance. And so with term, you want to think about something temporary. And it's good in the sense that if you don't have anything on your life, put something on your life because you never know when something is gonna happen. But with term, that's for just a specific period of time. So it could be 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, whatever you can get. And um, once that period of time is up, it's pretty much up. When you think about building generational wealth with life insurance, that's when you start thinking of permanent life insurance, right? So you think of like whole life, you think of IULs, stuff like that, because it's in those permanent policies that you are able to grow the cash value of the policy. It's in those policies that you're able to borrow against it, to use it for different things that you need um, to carry out in your life. It's in those policies that you are guaranteed that no matter what, no matter when, no matter how it happens, right? Um, you, your generations, your future generations will have access to that value that you have on yourself, right? And so, yes, when you think about a permanent policy, it is more expensive. But the analogy that I want to use is think about like purchasing a house, right? So you purchase a house and every month you have to pay your mortgage. 
Well, but guess what happens over time as you pay the mortgage and you own the house? You start developing equity on the house and you can borrow against that equity to use for different things. And then once you pay off the house, right, you keep paying your mortgage and do everything you got to do. You can also pass on that house to the next generation. So that's how I want you to think of a permanent policy. It's more expensive in the sense that it's more expensive than a term policy. But as long as you keep with your payments, do what you got to do, you can also like max funded and increase the cash value over time. And then if something happens to you and you're no longer here, that is guaranteed money that will pass on to the next generation. And if you pass something on to the next generation, you're obviously going to be in a better place than you were. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I love that. I think that's, that's really beautiful. And I know like, and I just want to share like a personal story because I know that's something that, you know, obviously drives a lot of what we do, you know, our personal lived experiences, families and things of that nature. When my dad was sick, you know, unfortunately he passed with can um, cancer prior to him, you know, getting sick or, you know, getting to that extent of his, um, of his sickness. I know at different points from, you know, what my mom told us over the years, she had asked him like, Hey, you know, there's this thing called insurance, life insurance, you know, I think we should get this, especially because obviously things are not progressing in the best way. This can help out a lot, especially as you you go to the hospital and, you know, take care of your, you know, all these different things as it relates to, you know, cancer treatment, as you mentioned earlier, sis. And for my dad and for many other, you know, immigrants, a lot of them, when they think about insurance, especially if they aren't making that much in the first place, there's always this idea of, oh, well, it's just a way for them to take more money out of your check. It's just a way for them to, you know, don't mind them. You know, the typical way that our African parents kind of talk sometimes like, oh, it's no, it's no big deal. We don't need that. You know, we we have our own way of taking care of ourselves. But, you know, thankfully, my mom, you know, eventually she decided to get insurance. Um, you know, she, she wasn't able to get a lot because, you know, she, again, didn't have much information. So she just kind of did whatever she was able to do. And, you know, after my dad's passing, you know, unfortunately, obviously, like you said just earlier, it's not something that anybody wants to happen, but it's something that we experience. You know, if you're sick, if you, you know, whatever you, you know that things are, something's going to happen eventually. So it's one of the best ways you can protect your family, especially if you don't have, you know, a lot of, you know, money saved anyway. So if you can maybe just kind of, if you happen to have a personal experience, either um, someone that you know directly, or just maybe someone in your community, can you just kind of share, um, you know, how maybe someone's experience might maybe impacted you or, or influenced you to kind of get into this field and, yeah. and how you saw, yeah, how life insurance kind of helped out. So I have like the story that I say, like it's comparing apples to apples. So one of the very first pharmacists I worked with, she was going through her second round of breast cancer. And, mm. you know, working in the pharmacy is not like an easy job. Like we're standing the entire time. And so she would go to chemo like during the week. And then like we would work together on the weekends because that was basically my schedule. Like so every other weekend I'll be working with her. And it was the most heartbreaking thing to watch because she literally did not have the strength. She was exhausted, um, but she had to keep working. And so I asked her like, hey, you know, like, why do you keep coming here? Obviously, you're not doing well. You need to take time to take care of yourself. But she said she had to keep working because she needed health insurance. And that's another thing that people don't think about. Like when you say, like, I'm good. Well, when you get these life changing diseases, some people have to keep working because they need health insurance. Because if you lose that health insurance, you probably won't even be able to access your treatment in any way, shape or form. And so she kept working until her doctor like, like put her on bed rest. And shortly after bed rest, she ended up passing away. And then when I got into this field and I started learning more about the value of life insurance and why we need to protect our lives through like the research, one of my aunts actually reached out to me and she was like, I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I was like, okay, you know, like, I'm like, thank you. And she's like, no, I'm so glad that you're doing this because I had cancer. And so this aunt was, she's also a pharmacist, right? And so basically making the same figure with my old um, manager that we used to, that I used to work with. And she was like, I had cancer and, you know, like, what saved my life 
was my life insurance because she's like when I got cancer I was she's like so she told me how she got the life insurance policy she's like these people came to my school while I was a pharmacy student and they were telling us about it I didn't have any reason why not to sign up for it and I did and she's like the whole time I had the policy I thought about stopping it so many times because I just didn't really understand why I needed to have it why I was paying for it but then she was like well you know um it wasn't hurting me financially so why not and then she got her diagnosis for cancer and she said that policy saved me because when I got the diagnosis I had to step back from work and when I stepped back from work I could access that policy to take care of me she like it was through that policy that I paid my mortgage it was through that policy that I was able to pay my bills I was able to take care of my treatment and she's like one thing she told me was that if you do not have money you will not access the treatment which is like the treatment is very expensive and so she went for like a period of like 2 to 3 years that she wasn't really like working full time and that whole time I didn't even know that she had cancer I just thought that she maybe she took a break from work and took like a sabbatical or something but just to come and find out like no she was treating herself and she was able to do that because she had a life insurance policy so I always and she was like you know a lot of people say how did you get through that period life insurance doesn't work and she's like no it works cuz I'm a living testimony that it works she's like I will pay for my life insurance before I pay my life bill because if something happens to me it's my policy that's going to keep me in the house. And so like I just compare like apples to apples with her experience versus my pharmacist that I worked with. And I was like if she had living benefits, if my pharmacist had living benefits, if she had a policy, would she have been at work slaving away just so she could have had some type of health insurance to access her chemo? Or would she have been at home with her two kids, like taking care of them, taking care of herself? And maybe she was so she would still be here with us today right cuz you know stress also weakens the immune system and when you're working in a high stress environment like it affects yeah. you and so that's really apostolic it's like my aunt ended up going back to work like one day a week but she said i went back to work cuz i was bored at home not because i needed to work i was just bored i had to do something so i was working one day a week And so you start seeing the differences with the quality of life and the opportunities you have just because you have access to that financial reserve. That's that is so powerful since you said so many things like quality of life having the option to choose whether going to work or staying at home and in the case of, you know, your former colleague who unfortunately had to work pretty much work herself to death yeah. like that is just so unfortunate like you you would think that, you know, someone who's living in this system she she was an african was no. she or or immigrant background no. so so that actually kind of proves our point that it's not just you know of course people in our community you know a lot of us do just kind of naturally we don't have that um exposure but even for a person who's been here you know their family's been here a lot of people just they just don't know much about it and it's unfortunate she had to you know instead of her enjoying her final days or possibly even extending her life as you as you as you mentioned she had to work to the very end and and that's not that's not a great way to live and yeah it's it's really sad it's it's really sad but i'm happy that your aunt you know was able to overcome and and yeah. and able to enjoy her life and and was and was able to kind of impart that on you as well that that's that's awesome yeah um so this i mean you spoke about so many powerful things especially um and i think one thing about life insurance that many people don't really know much about because i just learned about this somewhat recently the potential to even build wealth out of it i know you mentioned you know obviously you know using it to buy land or properties or things of that nature but even while a person is alive being able to tap into it i think many people they're not aware of like that side of it so can you i guess speak a little bit more about um the wealth building aspect of um life insurance and um yeah, yeah if you can just speak a little more about so, that so like i said a lot of times when you think about building wealth through life insurance you have it's this happens through permanent policies right and so a lot of people are afraid to get permanent policies or don't get permanent policies because yes it is expensive it is more costly than you getting a term policy but one of the things that i think 
we are not really educated about is that you can get life insurance as early as like less than a month old. So the thing with life insurance is that the younger you get it, the cheaper it is. So imagine if you have a one month old baby and you put like a permanent policy on that child, right? And so, you know, already that child is already ahead because that's going to become the child's norm. And as you grow, you can get more policies. And then like, as they grow, obviously you're going to get those policies on your kids. So I want people to think about like, Hey, you know, maybe it might be too expensive for me to get it because I'm older and I have like a lot of health conditions, but let's not repeat that same thing with my kid. Like I can get this policy on my kid and set them up to be in a better place so that their kids will be in a better place. So when you think about building wealth, again, going back to the question, like you think of the whole lives, you think of the IULs. And so with these policies, one of the key things to it is that you have to fund it the proper way. So just like with your house to own it, you have to pay your mortgage <laughs> and make sure that you know everything is set. Um, with the policies, you have to fund it. You have to fund it because usually with them, you have a certain amount of it that's going to go to what's paying for the policy. And then a certain amount of it is going to go through what's increasing your cash flow. And so a lot of people don't really see that growth or they don't experience that growth in your policies because they're not educated to fund it properly. And then another thing that you have to consider with these, with these policies is that if you're doing it to have that growth, you have to, it also has to be designed the right way. So not everybody is educated to design it the right way to reflect what you want it to do. So when you are sitting down with an agent, like, you know, it's very important to ask them questions about how they are designing it. Right. So you think about like, is it a level policy? So that means that like, it's not really growing. Is it an increasing policy? So it's growing. And there's so many like jargons <laughs> and I don't want to get into it, but it's very important for you to ask them, like, how is it designed? And I think that just for your own peace of mind, like go to different people. Don't go to just one person and see what they say. Go to different companies and see what they say, because, you know, some people think that they know how to design it, but they really don't. And I'm going to use this example, like with my dad. So my dad thought that he had um, like, you know, the permanent IUL policy that was increasing where he could increase the cash value. Well, he was like, OK, I'm good. I'm fine. Like everything is good. But then when I got into this, I was like, hey, you know, like, let's review like your insurance policy. Let's make sure that we're good. And then going there and reviewing it, it was like what he thought was happening was not happening because it was not an increasing policy. Right. So it was it was it didn't allow him to grow money into the policy. It also didn't allow him to really put much money into the policy. So, again, if you can't put much money into it, you can't really grow much money. And so that was something that my dad, thinking he had set up the policy five years ago, that he was good and he would be fine, just realizing that, no, he can't really, what he, like, he has a life insurance policy, but what he thought was supposed to be happening will never happen. And I take this to heart so much because I've seen it happen with my dad, and I'm grateful that we're able to catch it and, you know, do some changes. But some people will live your whole lives thinking that, that your policy is set up properly, and just to come and find out like what they thought was happening is not happening. So I always say like, you know, ask questions, get a second opinion. You know, don't be scared because this is your money. This is your growth. This is your investment. If you want to like, you know, rethink it, put, call your agent every year. Make sure you're seeing what you're supposed to be seeing. Like, do not be scared to ask your questions because you would rather know earlier than later because you don't want to end up like my dad who thought that, okay, five years ago he was good, but then realizing that, hey, um, this is not what we thought it was supposed to be doing and we have to start over. And you have to understand that, again, within that time span, a lot of things can happen. The older you get, the more expensive it is. If you get like a chronic disease, 
the more expensive it is and it might be challenging for you to get approved so it's a lot of things so that's why i just tell people like the younger you are just get it because you have less issues it's easier for you to get approved and you can always build upon but as you get older it gets more expensive you're higher risk and there are a lot of things that they factor into it that is so true sis that is so true and i think especially with you you know the unique positioning that you have as um you know a healthcare provider as well as an educator and you know the knowledge that you've been able to acquire over the years and of, and of course the cultural background you're able to speak more specifically or more directly to you know people who are coming from like a similar experience like 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 we are so that's one thing i mean i know you mentioned earlier about like health disparities is a big part of like something that you're passionate about your research and everything else like that so can you speak to how how do you have these conversations you know especially when there's like a generational um cuz i think for you and i you know obviously amongst like the same generation it's a little bit easier i mean it's of course there will still be some like hiccups because again we're conditioned to kind of feel like oh maybe i don't know but like for our parents generation like it's a lot more challenging one because you know again how we were socialized is kind of hard to talk to your elders in a certain way yeah. um especially in a position of authority like they are the figures the authority figures so you talking to them like you should do this or you should do that it's not always as easy so how do you i guess navigate these conversations how do you talk to them how do you communicate these points in a way that makes sense to them um so i think like the first thing is coming from a place of humility right and understanding that you know people don't know what they don't know right so like i said especially with my dad and my mom like their thing was like okay i have insurance on my life um if i die something's going to be left over for my kids that was it And so, you know, like one day I had to ask my father. I was like, "Okay, you know, like um I know that you got insurance and it's going to bury you, but like what if something happens to you and you don't die? Is it enough? Is it enough to make sure that we have a roof over our heads? Is it enough to make sure that my younger siblings can go to college? Is it enough to make sure that we're taken care of or you know is your wife going to have to like go start picking up like multiple jobs and she won't even be able to grieve you because you know like life is happening and you got to move right another thing and usually because like when people sell insurance they don't help you think about the value of it um you usually catch a lot of people who are stuck with that question because a lot of times the answer is no it's not enough. And then another thing that I talked to them about is that a lot of people got the term insurance, right? So they're like, yeah, I got insurance. It's term and it's like it was good. It was term for like 30 years, right? So they got this when they were like in their 30s. Now you're hitting 50s, 60s. And it's like how many years do you have left on it? 10 years, 15 years. 5 years is like so what happens now now you're older you have all of these diseases you have these medical conditions you're at higher risk um what do we do now do we have things like long-term care insurance in place because yes you can embed your long-term care into your permanent insurance as well Right. And so when you start having these discussions with them because these are things that they think about, like you have to speak in your language, they start realizing that, "Oh my god, I don't have enough insurance. I'm not properly covered." Because like you said, I got this uh 30 I got this 30 year policy 15 years ago. I got 15 years left. Then what? <laughs> right? Do I actually pass on anything to my kids? Maybe not. you may not if it expires before time so i always try to approach it from like the perspective of what they will be thinking about some people will be receptive some people will not be but it's so imp- like but it's so important to get them to see it and explain in a way that they get it because it will get them thinking um another thing that i like to talk about in terms of like the health disparities is that One thing I have learned in research is that the numbers don't lie. 
right? So when I learned about the term financial toxicity, it was mind blowing to me because it is something that we see every day, but we don't realize that that is what it's called because it's not a term that we talk about a lot, right? So it's like when you see somebody whose like parent passes away from an accident unexpectedly, and then you set up a GoFundMe to take care of the bills, right? Or like if someone has a stroke and you set up a GoFundMe to take care of the bills or you go around the community and you're basically asking people for money to help with this and that and all of that. Like all of those things are called financial toxicity. But in our culture, it's just like we're expecting it to happen that way. And then when it happens, you have the GoFundMe, the family's in the stress, we're struggling and this, this, this and that. And I was like, this is not something that just happens in America. It's all over the world. Everywhere you go, it's all over the world. And so what I found with financial toxicity research is that there is a whole sector, a whole branch of research that is just focused on researching this, researching how health and wealth intersect. And one of the things they always say is that like, if you do not have access to funds, it affects your health outcomes because you will not have access to the resources that you need when you need it how you need it to the maximum capacity they also say that you know even though you have financial navigators it's not enough they talk about how we need more funds how we need more government assistance and also even now we're realizing that with the gofundmes like it doesn't necessarily guarantee that a lot of people are going to give to your gofundme and so when I saw it, I was like, there's so much data on this particular topic. There's tons and tons and years and years of data on financial toxicity, which happens to us every day. Why is it that we are not educating the public so that we don't end up in the same situation every single time? Like, I'm like, if the numbers don't lie, because that's what you learn in research and data, numbers don't lie. But I'm like, if the numbers are saying the same things, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, <laughs> and we can't really prevent it from happening, right? Because that's the other thing. You can't prevent cancer. You can't, like, see it in the future and be like, hey, you're going to have cancer when you're, like, 52, so be prepared. Why aren't we encouraging people to protect your lives? Which is like, that's the main reason of protecting your life. It's so that when something happens, if it happens, you can tap into that to take care of yourself so that we don't end up in the same situation starting from negative every single time. Because if you cannot pull, it's like the most of us, right? We are breaking even right now because we go to work. We go to work, we have that income coming in, that six-figure income is coming in. But if you think about it, you have a mortgage, you probably have a car note, you got daycare, you have kids. So the only reason you're breaking even is because you're going to work every day. So if something happens where you cannot go to work every day, you don't even like go to zero. You go to negative because you're in the negative. And then if that continues being the pattern, how are you going to get yourself out of the negative? And if you can't get yourself out of the negative, that automatically goes to the next generation. So when you think about life insurance, it's like it helps you avoid going to negative. So if it was like on a scale of one to five, maybe instead of dropping to negative three, you might drop to two. And then you can try to figure it out from there. But right now what's happening is that on that scale, people are dropping to negative five immediately because there is nothing in place to protect you. And then think about like that impact that it would have on your kids if you're not able to like maybe get up to the baseline of zero or one. That's something that they're gonna have to carry on for the next generation because it's gonna affect the schools to go to, the food they eat, the houses they live in, right? Like. All of that, the extracurriculars they do, your quality of life, all of that gets affected just because we are not being educated to be proactive about protecting our lives, about something that there's so much research and data on, and it's so repetitive. 
it says the same thing. There's not enough funds to protect you. So the best you can do is protect yourself. <laughs> like right. That's right. So you said something that like really stood out to me and that that's that whole idea of crowdfunding. So I know you specifically mentioned GoFundMe, but when you mentioned that, I just thought about like how people typically do things in our communities. So, you know, again, obviously the African diaspora, if we're a, we find ourselves in new lands, we tend to like make communities amongst ourselves. So maybe your parents are probably like part of some kind of like Cameroonian association. You know, my family might be part of like a Nigerian association or, you know, maybe from your ethnic group or from your your home state, you know, all these different types of things of, of ways to find um, ways to create ways to establish senses of community while we're living in a, abroad. And as you mentioned, you know, these are like when people pass, you know, the idea or the what people kind of think, OK, when, once this person passes, you know, I'm going to join this. I, I'm joining this association so that. If I have a situation like this happen in my family, this association will help me cover those expenses because I'm a member and this is, you know, my community away from home, that kind of thing. Which, as you rightly said, yes, of course, you know, we we establish these communities for these reasons to have a sense of community, a home away from home, but it's not a guarantee. If they even if they raise ten thousand dollars for you, you still have other things that you need to take care of after you know you lost, you know your father or your mother, whoever the person is, like, it's not, yes, they can help you bury the person or whatever those funds are able to cover. But outside of that, what else? So I love the fact that you mentioned that, um, you know, I think it's important for us to think outside of, you know, okay, my community can help me with this, you know, yes, it's good to rely on these people or rely on the community, but it's also, it's better to rely on yourself and rely on what you can do and what you can do for your next generation. And, you know, I love everything that you said. It also preserves like your dignity, right? Mm. For example, like my aunt, she had cancer. I didn't know she had cancer. But if she didn't have the funds to take care of herself while she had cancer, everybody would have known she had cancer. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like sometimes you want to preserve your dignity. Everybody doesn't have to know what is going on in your life. Everybody doesn't know, have to know that you're going through treatment or like, you know, maybe you had a life-changing diagnosis and you're trying to work through it. Like the whole world doesn't have to be in your business coming to your house because they say like, I'm coming to help you. Right. <laughs> right. Cause that's all people coming through your doors, but you're yeah. probably just carrying gossip and spreading it around the community. I know. Right? It's unfortunate. <laughs> so once you're able to preserve your dignity, cause you don't need people and your funds, Mm -hmm. You don't have to make decisions based on what this person says and that person says and blah, blah, blah. Like, it allows you to choose you. Because some people have those funds and they don't necessarily go through with treatment. But now, like, you can make a decision that's best for you, not a decision based, based on desperation. Right. The desperation of, I don't know, like, because if I don't get the treatment, then what happens to my family and I get sicker and this, this, this and that. And you're like, I have to go to work and I have to figure this out. Like, that's stress. Mm -hmm. Quality of life is depleted. But then once you have the funds, it's like, do I really want to put my body through that? Do I want to go to a treatment? Is it worth it? It's a different, it's a different decision altogether. And you're not banking on this person and that person and that person and that person coming to your business and doing this and doing that. Because, right. you know, it's like, I love my community, but at the same time, I'm able to choose me independent mm -hmm. of what anybody else says or thinks or wants. That's right. That's right, sis. Most definitely. Um, I know you, of course, said this many times. There's no way you can overstate it, but I just would like to kind of give you a chance to maybe give advice to, you know, immigrant communities, um, specifically, you know, for our, you know, the African diaspora, um, like what advice would you give to them and their families who may be considering life insurance for the first time? Um, how can they get started on this journey? How can they even start having these conversations? Um, I would say that with life insurance, the earlier you get it, the better. So get it when you're young, get it on your kids on your kids when they're like, you know, a month old in the hospital, you can put life insurance policies on your children. 
And also the goal is for you to have permanent policies. So term policies are nice. They tend to be cheaper depending on your wallet, depending on what you're going through in life. I'm like, have something rather than nothing. But the goal is permanent. Because when you have something permanent, it doesn't matter when something happens. You're guaranteed to have that as long as you keep up with your payments as you should. Um, I would say that, you know, I'm working on educating the community about financial toxicity, educating the community about this research. And the real reason I want to talk about this is because I want people to be empowered to choose themselves. Like I want people to understand why life insurance is so valuable. A lot of times around us, they focus on the sale of life insurance, but not necessarily the why. This thing is so valuable and powerful. So regardless of the financial benefits you get in terms of growing wealth, just protecting your life has so many benefits because we never know when things are going to happen, but we know things are happening every day you hear a story of someone who's sick. Every day you hear a story of someone who drops dead. Every day you hear like someone who got into an accident. Like these are things that you can't prevent. But we know that when they happen, they don't just affect you emotionally, but they affect you financially. And so I want people to see the research that's out there. I want them to see the numbers and I want them to be empowered to choose themselves and position themselves and your family members in a better place so that no matter what happens, you know you're in a better place. And one of the things that, like with my friends that I've been speaking about who actually see the value of life insurance, um, they say that once they were able to get that insurance on your lives, it gives you peace of mind. Personally, and I know we don't like talking about death and stuff, but like personally, I have peace of mind because I know that if anything happens to me, my loved ones are good. Like, I know if anything happens to me, even if like it was an accident or something like that, like I know I have something on me. Like I am good. Like I'm not scared of that. I don't think about that and like, oh my gosh, like this and that. And it's not a good thing. Like you can have healthy conversations about that. Like you can have healthy conversations about end of life care. You can have healthy conversations about what you want to do when you get buried because you're setting up the things in place for the future for when it happens, if and when it happens. But because we don't even, especially with like our immigrant community, we don't talk about it. It's like, if we talk about death, it's like negative. If you talk about like, if you were to have an accident, like what would that mean? If you were to die, like what would that mean? Like we don't talk about this. Like when we get to that point, it's like a surprise and then it's a mess. <laughs> like it's a mess, there are no finances, It's there's confusion. It's stressful and it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. And so I just really want people to honestly see that this thing has so many benefits on your life. You cannot go wrong with protecting your life and really educate people on the value of that. So I would say my takeaway points in the end is like, get it while you're young, get it as soon as possible. Um, the goal is permanent, right? The goal is permanent. Definitely look for policies that have that living benefit aspect to it so that you can tap into it if something happens to you while you're still alive. And just continue to think about like the future. Think about your next generation. Even if you're not getting it for yourself, think about like, yo, what does this mean for my kids? What does this mean for my grandkids? What does this mean um, for my kids' kids? like my great grandkids, because if you set that pace that ensures that they are properly protected, your future generations will be properly protected as well. And we won't have to be depending on the community and all these external resources take care of us because we will have peace of mind to make decisions that are best for us regardless of the situation. Yeah, I, I love that, sis. I love that. Um, obviously, the podcast is centered on the experience of the African diaspora um, you know, but the diaspora is not just the U.S. I know many times we always kind of, since we live here, that's kind of the lens we focus on. And I know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've done like extensive research on this, but how, do you know anything about how this might look like in other countries? Um, 
um, like, because I know again, diaspora is not just U.S. But and also, does, does this have? There's is there any system like this even on you know back home that you're aware of? Yeah. So those are things that I think about every day. Is like, what does life insurance look like back home? What does it look like in other developing countries? I know, like in developed countries, like at least you have access to it compared to like developing countries but even in developed countries just because you have access to it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the education about the value of it right? right and so with developing countries you have to think about like their um your minimum wage is way less like you're living on way less and having to do a lot more mm -hmm. you think about like the type of jobs people have access to you think about you know your quality of life and your priorities. When you think of life insurance, and it's one of those things that it's a beautiful thing, but it can also be viewed as a luxury because you do need funds to pay for it. And I always think of like, that's why I, one of my things is like, hey, if you have the funds, get it on your child as early as possible because that's the cheapest it's gonna be, right? But then when you think of like something back home, like in Cameroon, because I'm aware of a lot of financial toxicity cases, it's like, how do you make this accessible to someone back home when their quality of life, like their income is way less than us? And then you think of like the companies, what companies like provide life insurance to the average person? Like the rich people, they will have it, <laughs> but does the average person have access to it? And so I think that's like an area of a lot of research, bringing it to the continent, making it accessible for the average person. The packages will most likely look different. The things they provide will look different, but I really do believe it is like worth that conversation because there is no reason for like widows to just drop straight into poverty back home and have nothing just because your husband passed away. Like, but we see it so much and it's so heartbreaking. And it's like, you kind of expect it to happen. And I'm like, why do we expect that to happen? Like, this is inhumane, but it's like an expectation. Like, oh, well, your husband died. So that's it. And I'm like, that's not, that's not healthy. Right. It's not like, we don't need to be going through the cycle. So I know you kind of touched on it again, like, why this is important to you but can you tell us like maybe long term like what are some of your ambitions and goals for raising this awareness at this time you know for our community how do you see your advocacy evolving in the future well long term like for i would say for now it's really just helping people see that there is so much data on this that there's no reason for us to keep ending up in the same position um, in terms of long-term, I really hope and pray that this understanding can translate to other countries and push for like increasing the accessibility to life insurance, increasing like, you know, accessibility to healthcare services and, um, you know, also demystifying a lot of the narratives around life insurance from like a cultural perspective, uh, because in our culture, we have so many negatives towards life insurance, but it's so beneficial and it's so beautiful that if we can get people to see it, if we can get our people to see how it benefits us, I hope that it would change the way we approach it. Just like, you know, we talk about like auto insurance and like house insurance and phone insurance. Like I want us to view life insurance in that same perspective so that we think of protecting our lives no matter what happens. Like I want it to become conversations on the dinner table, like everything else. <laughs> I love that. I love that sis. And just in closing, if you can just share with our, you know, our listeners, um, if there's like a key message or takeaway, I know you've said so many powerful things, but if there's like one key thing you would like to leave for us, um, as far as, as it relates to, you know, all that we, what we talked about and if there's maybe a way they can connect with you if they want to learn more. Yes. Um, my key message 
is that there is value in protecting your lives. Like, don't listen to anybody who's like, oh, it doesn't work. Life insurance is a scam and this, this and that. Like, no, there is value to protecting your lives. I do know that it is something that is not cheap. I know you need to have the funds, but if you do have the funds, please look into protecting your life against the unknown. In terms of my handle, so I do have an Instagram page and it's called uh, non-traditional farm B. And so there I post content about life insurance and I also post content about financial toxicity. So like coming on such a podcast is not the easiest because those are two very broad topics. And so what I try to do with the content is simplify it as much as possible so that you can learn and also like see the like learn like learn about financial toxicity but also learn about life insurance because a lot of times like people aren't really explaining certain things for people to understand so you can see how both that health and wealth intersect and how like protecting your lives will allow you to have better health outcomes or will position you to choose better health better health treatment options as well Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, you've shared so many powerful things that's even had me kind of thinking, you know, having a rethink. So I really do appreciate your time. Um, thank you for all of your insight and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>Hey, that family. Thank you once again for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. I would love to know what your thoughts are and any feedback that you may have on this particular episode, this particular topic. Please feel free to leave us a voice message or leave us a comment on our social media pages or our YouTube channel. Please follow the links in our bio on Instagram at Building Africa's Future to learn more about the many ways that you can support us, including purchasing t-shirts and hoodies and other merch that we may have. If you like the work that we do here and you would like to make a one-time or monthly contribution of a dollar or more, please visit our link tree. That is linktree forward slash building Africa's future for additional ways to support. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for sharing. Let's keep the conversation going. And as usual, I hope that you stay well. Thanks, Bat family.